This is Neon Radio, episode 150, with sleep expert Sean Stevenson. Welcome to Neon Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, fashion and lifestyle photographer for today's top brands, performers, and game changers. On this podcast, we explore the body, mind, and soul of the creative entrepreneur, bringing you inspiring guests to help take your creativity, business, and life to the next level. Hello, my fellow creatives. It's your host here, Nick Onkin, for another episode of Neon Radio. And today we have an amazing guest. His name is Sean Stevenson. And I'm excited to talk to him today because we're going to talk a lot about sleep and how it helps your creativity, helps your productivity, and just your overall life in general. I know for myself, sleep has been one of the biggest priorities to me over the last few years. Because when I get enough sleep and enough quality sleep, I feel the best. I feel the most creative. I don't get as in a downward spiral in my head. So many things. I just feel so much better. So today we'll talk to Sean. He's written a book, 21 Ways of Sleeping Smarter. He also is the host and founder of the Model Health Show, one of the top health podcasts out there. And he talks about everything health and fitness and wellness. So you should definitely check that out, check his book out. And we just dive into the world of sleep, health, creativity, and so much more. It's a really great conversation. Sean just uh, hired me recently to come down to St. Louis and photograph him to help him build his visual personal brand. That was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun down there and I got to see St. Louis, which is great. Before we jump into it, don't forget to go and sign up over on the Neon Life quiz. It's n-i-o-n-l-i-f-e.com slash quiz. Uh, Take the quick 10 question quiz and we'll serve you up some free content to help you out in your creative journey wherever you're at. And also I'm starting to answer the, the questions that you guys ask from that form and we're doing some some live Facebook lives over at facebook.com slash neon life. You can find them there. We're also going to be posting them up on the IGTV on the neon life account. And that's at neon life. And that's N I O N L I F E. So check those out. And if you love and you're having fun with the podcast, it's bringing you some value. I would love it if you could just share it out, share it with your friends, share your favorite episodes one of the favorites that so far has been Marie Griffin's Finding Your Catnip, Your Unique You, What Makes You Uniquely You, and How to Share That with the World. So with that, I bring to you the one, the only, Mr. Sean Stevenson. What is up, everyone? We have got Mr. Sean Stevenson in the house today. Welcome to the show. Man, I'm grateful to be here. Glad you're here. Sean has one of the top health podcasts out there, the Model Health Show. Go check it out. We're going to jam on on health and creativity and consciousness and whatever we want to talk about today. I'm excited to to dive in. Sean and I just did a shoot down in uh, St. Louis this last couple months ago. The Midwest. The Midwest. <laughs> it was fun to, to hop down there and, and uh, spend the day with him. 
So let's jump into it. I want to hear just a little bit of, just let, get these guys a little bit of your story of how you built the show and kind of your background in the health world. Sure. Yeah. So I'll give the condensed version because I, I did not plan on doing what I'm doing today for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I thought I was going to play at the next level, get paid to, to play sports, you know, and this is just kind of the paradigm that I grew up around. Or be a doctor or a lawyer, you know, thanks to television, basically. Yeah. You know, that's what I should do. And when I was in high school, like things were looking really good. When I was 15, I ran a 4-5-40. So folks that pay attention to like NFL combine numbers, whatever, it was, I was very fast. And not saying I'm not fast now, by the way, but <laughs> at this point and things were just looking good, you know, and I was scoring a lot of touchdowns and, but fate had other plans. And I was two sport athlete. I ran track as well. And so at track practice, now I'm 16 years old. I was doing a time trial, which is just, I was just running on the track and my coach was timing me. And as you come off the curve into the straightaway on this 200, as I was turning into the straightaway, I pulled up, like my my leg just started feeling terrible, you know, Oof. and I come to find out I broke my hip. Oh, geez. And this was just from running, oh all right? Not from a trauma, nobody hit me. I broke my hip from running and it was an iliac crest, like the top of my hip bone had just broken off. And being a dumbass young guy, I came to practice for like two more days before I went and got checked out. And so the question is this. So, so by the way, they put me through what's known as standard of care, which is stay off the leg, take some NSAIDs and, you know, you know, rub some cream, whatever. You'll get better. You're young. But nobody stopped to ask, how did a 16 year old kid break his hip from right. running? When you hear about somebody breaking their hip, you're usually thinking about like golden girls, right? Like that's the kind of yeah. situation. And it wasn't until four years later, so I'm 20 years old at this point, a dozen more injuries, just couldn't keep my health together. All my aspirations are now, you know, gone. Even my identity of like what, who I was going to be, what I was going to do in life is, is changed. And I get diagnosed with this degenerative bone disease, right? Oof. So like my, my bones, bone density was crazy low. And also my disc in between the vertebrae and my spine, so degenerative disc disease, were de deteriorated. And so my physician at the time told me I had the spine of an 80 year old man. And I'll never forget that. Oh my God. I'm 20. And I'm like, feeling like, you know, the world is my oyster. And he puts this MRI up for me to see. And he's like, you know, you have the spine of an 80 year old man. And we don't usually see this in people as young as you. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, so what do we do about it? Like, let's fix it. Because that's what I was used to with, you know, working with coaches or whatever. Yeah. And he was like, he looked at me like, you know, kind of side-eyed and it's like, there's nothing you can do about this, son. I'm sorry. This is something you're just going to have to to live with. I'm really sorry about that. And from that moment, man, my whole reality really changed because, and this is some cool stuff we could talk about mm -hmm. here, is that we were just talking about some really interesting stuff, but listen to this, man. There, Everybody's heard of the placebo effect. They've heard of it. Yep. But what does that mean? And why do we even talk about that in science? Because it's a fake drug or fake treatment, fake surgery, whatever the case might be. And the gold standard of clinical research, we do a double blind placebo controlled study. We have to account for the fact that somebody is going to believe that it's a drug that's going to lower their blood pressure and it's going to lower their blood pressure, even though it's not real. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, and on average... Placebos are about 33% effective on average in studies. Just somebody believing that they're taking chemotherapy and it kills their cancer cells. Yeah. Believing that they had a knee surgery to repair meniscus 
And actually they were putting up a video of somebody else for the patient to see and just didn't made an incision and yep. their meniscus heals, right? Wow. So we got evidence, we got so stacks and stacks of data of these situations taking place. Yep. We have to account for this. So, and I'm bringing this up to say, number one, the power of the mind is incredible. Mm-hmm. The human mind is the most powerful pharmacy on the planet, yep. all right? That's where you're creating all of this stuff. The second thing is there's an opposite of this because placebo sounds pretty, pretty cool. There's the opposite is called a nocebo effect. Oh. This is when you get a negative injunction, not that something good is going to happen, but something bad is going to happen from right. an authority figure. And so my physician, all knowing, all powerful in my health, I believed that there was nothing I can do about this yeah, and that I was going to be stricken with this disease for the rest of my life. And so I went from a nuisance of a pain, like I was having the sciatic nerve pain down my leg to like chronic debilitating pain in the coming weeks and months. And so- you know, he gave me some medication. He told me that, you know, we'll keep an eye on it. You know, I'll be a potential for surgery in the next couple of years. And that was that. And at the time, and I just, man, I'm so grateful because I would have done surgery in a heartbeat. I just wanted to have my life back. Mm. But a lot of folks don't realize about 70% of folks who have back surgery have to have another surgery. Because when you start tinkering around with your spine, Oof. that's where the whole deal is happening, you know? Yeah. And so just to kind of round this story, obviously it's a, Happy ending. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Happy ending. But um, yeah, man, two years went by and I was definitely, you know, I'd gained a lot of weight at this point because he told me, be careful. Don't do this. Don't do that. Bed rest. And I saw, I highly encourage people whenever they get bad news like that, get a second opinion or a third opinion. And I did. Yeah. And they said the same thing, you know, each physician and they gave me permission to not do anything. Right. Right. And the worst thing you can do is to do nothing especially when you're talking about something with your health, because not only was my bones atrophying, now the rest of me is atrophying. Right, right. Because you know, your body really operates on that use it or lose it paradigm, right? Yeah. And so I gained a bunch of weight, you know, like 40 pounds over the course of those two years. And I was eating what I lovingly call the tough diet. This is typical university food, right? right tough right, diet. Right, right. Hey, Papa John, we had the Papa John special. It was like $5 for, <laughs> oh you know, God. large one topping, man. At least like five times a week, man. Yeah. It's crazy. I yeah. was made out of, pe- like at least my forearm was like <laughs> made of pepperoni. And, but everything changed, man. Everything changed. It took two years to get to this place. Yeah. And, you know, Tony Robbins talks about this. You know, it's not, it's not that the decision takes a long time. It's getting to the place because the decision happens instantly. When you make a decision about something, it takes like a millisecond but it's getting yourself to the place where you actually make the decision. It's just most people never make a decision. Right. I had not decided to do anything about it. It was more like, I hope that this will work or I hope someone helps me. I wish this would work or, you know, I'll try this, try that. So disempowered. Mm-hmm. But when you make a real decision about something, that's from the Latin day meaning from and kaidir, which means to cut. Oh. So when you make a real decision, you cut away the possibility of anything else but that thing happening. Mm. And so it took two years but ultimately I decided to get well. I, I stopped believing that there was nothing I could do. I realized my physicians might've meant well, but they don't walk in my shoes. And they're not thinking about me right now as I'm sitting by myself in my college apartment, like freaking looking at my pill bottles and just like wondering how I got here. Yeah. They're not thinking about me. And so I decided to get well. Yeah. And being a very analytical person, I think is partially by nature. And I'm grateful for that. It wasn't just like, okay, I'm deciding to get well. Now 
you know, like Aladdin's going to pop out or whatever the hell, you know what I'm saying? It was more like, okay, I got to put a plan together. Mm -hmm. And for me, that plan entailed three things. It was changing the way I was eating, which kind of seems obvious now, but at the time I didn't, I never asked the question, okay, my bones are breaking down. What are my bones made of? Right. Because of marketing, I knew it was like calcium, but there are like 20 things more important than calcium. It's just like, that's so marketable. And I wasn't getting any of that shit. Like I was made of, I was made of like Twizzlers and pizza, you know, like for real. Pepperoni. <laughs> and, and Sunny Delight, you know, that's why I was getting my so-called oh. vitamin C, right? Oh, the Sunny D. Oh my God. And yeah, man. So I asked, what, what are my bones actually made of? Because it would just make sense to provide my body with those compounds. How can it rebuild me if I don't give it the, the compounds that it needs? And so- start finding out about like vitamin K2 and sulfur bearing amino acids and polysaccharides and all this stuff I'd never heard of, heard about before. Yeah. And even some of those things did pass the screen of my mind in college, in my college biology class or like in, in high school, but it didn't make sense to me because it didn't relate to me. It was so abstract and external. Mm-hmm. And so, but now I had a reason. And so I became obsessed with learning everything I could about health. And so I changed the way I was eating. The second thing was movement. Mm-hmm. Your body needs movement in order to, to heal itself, in order to assimilate nutrients anyways. Mm-hmm. you know. And I yeah. came across some studies on that too, that you can give somebody some supplements, but they're only gonna assimilate some of it unless they're moving. Like mm-hmm. walking and taking the supplements increases the assimilation exponentially. And the third thing, the final thing in this kind of transformation that took place was my sleep. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea just because, you know, first of all, I'm just, I'm in college, so I'm just staying up playing Madden anyways. <laughs> and dude, I was, I was like next level with Madden. I was actually playing in some Madden tournaments Oh my god! to like pay my rent at the time, you know, because I couldn't really what? work well. Yeah, so, <laughs> but that, and also just the pain, man, like I had to take drugs in order to sleep. So I was taking pharmaceutical, you know, like prescription drugs and some over the counter stuff to knock yeah. me out because the pain would wake me up. And it's just like terrifying, man. And so, but it was like a pseudo sleep. I was never really, never really felt like myself. And so basically stuff I started doing, doing during the day turned up for me better when I laid my head down at night. I started to sleep really well. Hmm. This culminated in, and this is the cherry on the top of, of the story is six weeks later after making that decision, I lost over 20 pounds and the pain I've been experiencing for two and two and a half years, really, at this point, was gone. Yeah. And ultimately, I went and got a scan done about nine months later. My two ruptured discs in my lumbar, so my L4, L5, S1, they had retracted on their own and, and got back into place. And my disc had regenerated some of the juiciness, like they had grown, which was, he told me that was impossible. Like, this is something you're just going to have to deal with. Right. And I saw right there on the freaking you know, screen that he put up. Yeah. And all he could say was, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. This wow. like, we've never seen results like this before. Wow. And I fired him, of course. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, at that point, people had seen the transformation. I was at school. And so like students were like, dude, what did you do? My professors were stopping me, you know, asking me questions. And these, they became my clients eventually, <laughs> you know? So I became a strength conditioning coach initially learned everything I could about health in the human body, opened up a clinical practice as a nutritionist. From there, worked with a couple thousand people, mm-hmm. 
started writing books, started the podcast, and the rest is history. Now you're crushing it. Yeah. I love it. I love it, brother. Well, there's so much to unpack here. I want to talk a little bit, I mean, obviously about sleep, because I mean, that's, I'm, I'm fascinated with that whole topic. And you've written a whole book on sleeping smarter and all these different hacks that you can do to sleep better. But let's talk about like what sleep does for you in the first place. Because I know for myself that when I get a proper night's sleep, I'm way more creative. I'm way more productive. I'm not diving down a mental rabbit hole of negative thought process. Yeah, and it's crazy. You, you know, your body's repairing and all these things. So what is it? What you know, what are all the th things that sleep does for you? That's so powerful that you notice that, you know. And so one of the th recent studies and this is just crazy. Like we have this new term in science called cyber loafing. Right? Cyber loafing. Yeah. So oh. this is basically where you're supposed to be doing a task, but you end up scrolling around on social media or, you know, watching stuff on YouTube. Right. <laughs> and so I know every, I, I yeah, guilty. I know everybody <laughs> has had this experience, but what, what they were seeing was every hour of higher quality sleep that the test subjects were getting it reduced the incidence of cyber loafing by like 20%. Hmm. And so when you're sleep deprived, even an hour, right, from which is ideal for you and your body at that time, you're going to see this big uptick in the incidence of you going and getting off task, basically. Mm, interesting. And so that's just one thing. Yep. And to take that a step further, this was this was a study published in The Lancet. And people always like, if there's anything you want to know and like, that sounds interesting please triple check me, you know, so you can see this for yourself. But this was published in The Lancet and this was a physician study. So this was, this was done on physicians. Oh, wow. And they had them come in and complete a task and then they sleep deprived them for 24 hours, which is not abnormal for right. people in that industry. They had them come back and do the same exact task, literally the same thing. But being sleep deprived, here's what, hap what happened. First of all, they made 20% more mistakes doing the same exact thing. Right, twenty yep. percent more mistakes is huge, especially yeah. if they're a physician. Right, and so that's number one. And it took them fourteen percent longer to do the same exact thing. And so, what tends to happen in our culture today is like we're grinding, right? You just get you're working, yep. but we're mistaking doing work for actually being effective hmm. because we're losing so much of our effectiveness by being sleep deprived and your creativity, as you mentioned as well. And you have to work harder to get the same thing done versus when you're well-rested. And so, and I can go on and on with those types of studies. So that's one aspect is like just your your productivity, what's going on with your creativity and being able to stay on task. Another thing is literally the function of your brain. So one of the first things that we see after, again, short sleep debt, which is, you know, yep. let's say 24 hours. And what takes place is really interesting because after just 24 hour sleep debt, there's about a 14% reduction in glucose getting to your brain. Hmm. And so basically your brain starts to starve oh, and wow. you and you become dumber, right? <laughs> so like I, I start to think of like, I'm becoming more like Lloyd Christmas, yeah. right? From like dumb and dumber as the night is going on or the next day when I'm sleep deprived, like I'm just getting dumber and dumber and dumber. And shout out to that movie, by the way, one of the best movies so ever. So good, so good. Part two, not so much, right. I don't know. You know, but Jim Carrey. That's, oh man, Jim that's, Carrey. That's is, another conversation here. We'll we'll have a little bit. But. Man, Jim Carrey. <laughs> I just watched with my youngest son, Braden, Ace Ventura, the Pet Detective, and you know, for me back in the day, like I was at like a cool, like I'm a cool phase, Sean. Yeah. You know, and just like I was just like, ah, this is just too silly. You know. <laughs> but watching it now, 
Yeah. Man, it is it's brilliant. It is. It is so smart, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. And one of his things is like getting people to get out of this idea of, you know, I'm supposed to be this person, right? And just like getting into a place of like pure joy, yeah. right? Letting go, breaking free. And so anyways, but not to get off track with Jim Carrey, shout out to him. <laughs> but what happens is it's 14% reduction, specifically a nice portion of that is a reduction in, in, in energy getting to your prefrontal cortex. And so that's the part of your brain responsible for decision-making, for social control, mm. like bes- distinguishing between right and wrong, like that executive part of your brain that's like, you know, I really shouldn't hook up with this girl or I really, you know, like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or this guy or whatever it is, you know, for, for, for each person. But it's just like those decisions we tend to make when we're sleep deprived, right? They tend to happen when it's late at night yeah. or the food choice you make. I don't know about you, man. I don't, have you ever been up late? Like maybe you're kicking it, watch TV or you're working or you're hanging out at a party you're, it's two o'clock in the morning and you're just like, you know what? I really got a taste for broccoli. Like I really want some broccoli right now. <laughs> you don't ever have that happen. It's more like right. I want some sweet, crunchy, salty, tasty snacks. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And this is an evolutionary thing because if you've ever had a Cheez-It or if you've ever had some chips, if you've ever had some cookies, your brain knows there's a quick source of glucose. I can get shuttled mm. up to my brain quickly because it's a danger when your glucose levels drop in your brain like that, yeah, because your brain is always looking for, it, it needs to survive. Yeah. And your reaction time might be lower and you might be at risk with the environment around you, you know? Yeah. So you, you're going to have an evolutionary, this is where we get into conversation of like your willpower versus your biology, Ooh. which is going to win, you know? And so that's another thing, man. I can also, you know, if we want to get into it, talk about literally how your sleep is probably more impactful for your body composition. Like literally- your body fat percentage, and I can give you facts. Yeah, more powerful for that than your diet and exercise combined. Wow, that's crazy. So what what is it that because your your body's regenerating as you sleep, right? Yeah. It's it's recomposing, it's it's healing, it's doing all these different things. Yeah, it's it's the anabolic state for humans. Anabolic really means the building up of. It's catabolic, just being awake. You know, right. just being alive. Even right. you're just sitting there doing nothing. Your body's in a hyper state of catabolism and breaking down. Hmm. But we need both because if we recover properly, we get better. We, it's hormetic stressors like yeah. exercise. Exercise is great for you if you recover from it. Right. If you just keep, if you never recover, you're just drilling yourself into the ground right. in a hole you can't get out of. And I've seen this happen with people. And so this was, man, this, I really hope people get this. I really do. University of Chicago. They wanted to find out how much your sleep impacts your actual body fat, right? And so what they did was they constructed a study and they took these folks and they put them on a calorie-restricted diet, which is what I was taught to do in college, which is, doesn't necessarily work, by the way. That's a whole other conversation. Right, right, right. But they put them on a calorie-restricted diet and during this phase of the study, they allowed them to get eight and a half hours of sleep, which is considered to be ideal for these researchers. Yeah. Another phase of the study, they take the same exact people same exact diet, same same movement habits. They're not doing anything differently, but they sleep deprive them. So they take away three hours. Now they're getting five and a half hours of sleep, all right? Everything else in their life is the same. At the end of the study, they compiled all the data and they found that when folks were well-rested, when they were getting adequate sleep, they lost 55% more body fat just by sleeping. Wow. Not 
cutting more calories, not exercising their face off, just sleeping. And by the way, I said body fat, not weight. They actually lost fat. Wow. From sleeping. <laughs> okay. So, but then my question, of course, is like, how the hell? Like, what? How? Yeah. Right? How? How is that possible? Three quick things I'll share. Number one, everybody's heard of melatonin now. Yep. It's just kind of, it's glorified sleep hormone, but it's not that, man. It really helps to regulate this kind of circadian timing system. Mm-hmm. Our connection with Nate, like the moon going around the freaking earth and the earth going around this, all this is lined up with, you know, melatonin helps to regulate yeah. that. Yeah. But melatonin is also a very powerful fat burning hormone. Okay. And so what, this was in the journal Pineal Research. What they found was that melatonin production increases your body's mobilization of something called brown adipose tissue, or just call it BAT. It's like a, it's a kind of fat. It's yep. brown fat. Oh, okay. And so we have different types of fat, mainly brown fat and white fat, right? Hmm. White adipose tissue. When we think about like, I'm trying to get rid of this, you know, the, the turkey neck or the jiggle arm, whatever the, I don't know the different names, but they're trying to get rid of fat, right? You're trying to target fat. We're thinking about white adipose tissue. Brown adipose tissue is a type of fat that burns fat. Yeah. Okay. And the reason it's brown is it's very dense in these mitochondria. And yeah. mitochondria just, and I'm sure a lot of folks have heard about it by now, but these are like energy power plants in our cells. And so that's the reason it's brown is so dense in that. And so what the researchers found is that, that again, melatonin, mm-hmm. when you're producing it, you produce more brown adipose tissue, you burn more fat. Mm-hmm. That's one reason sleeping works. Number two is human growth hormone. And whenever I used to hear about HGH, I would think about like Sports Center, you know, like Barry Bonds and yeah, yeah. Jason Giambi, we're in NYC, you know. A Rod. A Rod. Right? These <laughs> performance enhancing drugs, a lot of them are are HGH. Okay. Just human growth hormone. And it's not that it directly makes you bigger and stronger. It helps you recover faster. It's muscle sparing and protective so you don't lose your muscle. Hmm. And it also is a big driver of energy. Kids have a tremendous amount of HGH. Like, oh, okay. That's, it's crazy how much kids have human growth hormone. It helps them grow. Yep, yep. And so, but there's a pretty big decline for us when we get around 18 to 20. But we still produce the great majority of our HGH during deep anabolic sleep. Yep. That's when you get that big hit. That's when that hit or quitter really calms for you. Mm. But if you're not getting sufficient deep anabolic sleep, which of course we could talk like what is sleep anyways, it's really a changing in your brain waves. Yeah. That's how we can monitor what sleep is because it's very difficult to describe. It's kind of like you're, you're dead, you know, it's just yeah. like, it's very weird. Like yeah. if an alien came here, it's like, what are they doing? Yeah. You know? And it's these changes in brainwave frequency are correlated with different changes in your body, bottom line. Mm, interesting. So during that delta, deep delta wave sleep, you're producing a lot of human growth hormone. Got it. So that's another thing. Last thing I'll share is, is in regards to the study, when you're sleep deprived, you're producing more cortisol, mm. a lot more. Yeah. And it's not that cortisol is bad, you need it. But when it's produced in that great amount because you're sleep deprived, cortisol can literally break down your valuable muscle which helps you to burn fat. Muscle is kind of like your body's fat burning machinery. It can break your muscle down because of stress. Like your 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 nervous system, your brain is like, it's a stress response. You need to survive. Yep. So it'll turn your muscle tissue. It's a process called gluconeogenesis. Turn it into glucose. It'll break your muscle tissue down and use it as fuel. Mm. All right? And all of this happens very quickly when you're sleep deprived. So 
There's just a couple of things and why this matters, man. Yeah. I mean, I no. Go on another 10 things, but yeah. <laughs> it's huge. But you know, it's interesting when we talk about the brain waves, right? Like, and you know, I think now with all this research is like meditation is doing a lot of similar things depending on what type of meditation you're doing. I know yeah. I do Vedic meditation, which also drops your brain waves down. But then like I've been getting into Joe Dispenza's meditations and like what's interesting is that you know, a lot of his, he talks about dropping down a theta and delta waves right. during the meditations. And he can actually, you know, he's hooking people up to brain scanners and actually watching their brain waves drop throughout the meditations. And I'm getting to the point now where I can even like, I'm feeling my, I can almost tell when I'm in a theta or delta state yeah. of, of brain waves. Do you think it's doing, is it, is it similar to sleep or is that, is, is it two totally different things? That's such a great question, man. So the Dalai Lama said that sleep is the best meditation, right? Mm. And there is some similarities, especially for experienced meditators. And so so what is sleep? So with sleep, we're transitioning between these different stages. You're going from a normal waking state right now, like we're in beta yep. or maybe like some a little gamma can get in there as well. And then you transition into alpha, then to theta, then to delta. Mm -hmm. And that's a deep anabolic sleep. But again, experienced meditators can get there yeah, And it is anabolic once they can get into that state. Mm. But it's like, it's pretty difficult without that kind of training. Yeah, But getting into theta and alpha, I, I feel just about anybody could do that with the, yeah. just even a little bit of practice. And you do get some benefits, some recovery benefits. Mm. The American Academy of Sleep Medicine actually published some studies where they're taking folks who have insomnia and teaching them meditation. Mm. And seeing it was it's crazy. Like literally it's comparable to them taking Ambien, but without side effects by wow. them doing meditation. So what they found was, and they, they were basically having folks to meditate in the morning, help them sleep better at night, because they're kind of building this neuro circuitry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so what they found was that they improved overall, and this was on, on average for every test test subject, improved their sleep latency. So they fell asleep faster, their overall sleep time. Their wake time was reduced, so waking up during the night, and they also reduced their symptoms of depression because it's one of the things we see quickly yeah. when folks are sleep deprived as well, greater tendency towards that, all from having a meditation practice, right? And this was, uh, I believe it, it was a mindfulness practice in this one. So this is just like being mindful of your breathing. Yep. And even with that, just focusing on your breathing, and I know everybody now is thinking about their breathing, yep. which is crazy. It's just like, was <laughs> I not breathing before? Right? And it's because it's part of your autonomic nervous system. And so it's just like, it can run by itself, like your heart beating, yeah. digesting your food. It's all on the same track. But what's different about our breath is that we can jump in and grab the wheel on that. You don't want the responsibility of beating your heart or yeah. digesting your food. Like we'd all like, there'd be like, we'd be dissolving like freaking Thanos, you know, like <laughs> hit us up and we all just be disappearing off yeah. the planet. But we can jump in and grab the wheel on our breathing. And I think it's an evolutionary adaptation because your breathing controls everything about you, really. I mean, it controls your 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 neurotransmitter production, your hormone production, like instantly when you change your breathing. Yep. And so if you're stressed out, like, and I think I'm saying evolutionarily speaking, because like it's dangerous. Like you can die, your immune system goes down when you're stressed. Right. And if you make a mistake and you like you perceive, because stress is based on your perception, it's not necessarily based on what's in reality. Yeah. And so if you perceive a threat or you perceive 
like maybe you're, you know, walking through the the jungle and you're, you know, foraging or whatever, and you see something that just scares the shit out of you, but it was really just like a stick. Yeah. And now you're like, your heart is beating racing. You can gather yourself, change your breathing, and you can bring that sympathetic nervous system back down and you can get more into this parasympathetic rest and digest. Yeah. Animals are great at doing this. Like they'll do their thing. They'll have a scare. They'll they have a battle of whatever. Then they'll go off, shake it off. Yeah. Like literally you see animals shaking, you know, and they just get back to being at one with nature, right, you know, right, but right. humans, we pan, we like pander and, and drill, like we create so much craziness in our minds, you know, and this is the yeah. beauty of humanity as well. But because we're not worried about our survival needs anymore, so especially if people listen to this, like your life is pretty sweet. Like yeah, now, but we can manufacture all these worries and live in those worries. Mm -hmm. And so it's such a great asset to be able to just change your breathing. And as soon as you do that, you start to switch off that fight or flight, sympathetic mm -hmm. nervous system. And you can immediately start to shift into this parasympathetic. We also call it, quote, rest and digest nervous system. And yeah. that tool in and of itself, just changing your breathing in relationship to sleep, that is such a great transitionary tool, I feel, because it's, again, shifting getting you into that more relaxed state because you don't just go to sleep. It's, it's like a process. It's like a, you, you fall into it, you yeah. drift into it. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. So if I usually never have a problem falling asleep, it's yeah. like, I'm out. Bam. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I'm just like, I do just go to sleep actually. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, it's, so, so yeah, it's interesting you talk about this because like, you know, I think for me, Sleep is, I, I do notice a difference, like I was saying earlier, in creative flow, productivity, when I do get the the proper eight, like I like eight hours. But what is it that, like, are, why is it eight hours? And like, how does the sleep debt work in terms of, you know, if you get five hours one night, then I know for me, like, if I do like five hours a night or six hours a night for like three or four days, then I'll end up having to sleep like 11 hours yeah. to catch up. Is that like, a, is that a myth or is that like a real thing? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, th there are theories around this that we can look at our sleep like, you know, we're dealing with a bookie or we're dealing with a bank, you know, where we can accumulate this debt, then pay it back. It doesn't necessarily work like that. For short term, it does. Like if it's a day or two of short sleep, you'll just know like your, and your body will. But once we get into like chronic sleep deprivation where folks are sleeping like, you know, four hours a night for, you know, right, whatever, right, like right, just right. living like that you can't really pay that back. Like, and what we see is, and this is like, dude, like I just, I even started my book off with this just yeah. because I think people need to know the value of sleep. But one study found that, you know, on average, so these men were getting on average four hours of sleep per night and all cause mortality went up like mm. almost 40%, like all cause of, all cause of death, diabetes, heart disease, stroke, you name it, goes up exponentially yeah. when somebody's sleep deprived like that. And so here's the deal. At no point do I ever say ever, nobody's ever heard me say this. Maybe like when I was ignorant, like 20 years old in my, <laughs> you know, like trying to figure stuff out. But yeah. I've, I never tell people what amount of hours of sleep to get. That's very negligent because everybody's different. Mm -hmm. Everybody, and just even like any condition, Everybody's different. No two people have the same diabetes. No two people have the same obesity. No two people have the same high blood pressure. Right. It's just a category, you know, like we give a diagnosis. It's a blanket statement. So now I can treat you. Yeah. But you're different, right? 
And so the same thing with our sleep, it's gonna be determined about, upon you, your genes, your lifestyle, what you're dealing with, you know, work schedule, stress. Maybe you're training for, you know, some kind of a, a tough mutter or whatever, you know, it's a marathon or something. You know, maybe you just started lifting weights. Maybe you're going through something with your kids and it's stressing, whatever it is, all of these things are gonna influence how much sleep you need. Yeah. And it, it is person dependent, situation dependent. Here's the issue. When we talk about eight or nine hours, like there are people who get eight hours of sleep and they still feel shitty all the time. Right. Right. They're waking up like, man, like they, it's hard to get out of bed. And it's because there's a difference between quantity and quality. They're talking about this now with food. Yeah. But it's the same thing yeah. because now we know that eating 300 calories of Twinkies is very different from 300 calories of kale. It's very different the impact it has on your hormones, your neurotransmitters, on your organs and organ systems, on your cells overall. Mm. Same thing, there are a lot of people getting Twinkie hours of sleep, right? Mm. They're, they're getting Twinkie minutes of sleep <laughs> where the quality is so much lower yeah. because of not cycling through those brain waves mm. properly. Yeah. That's the key, man, is cycling through our brain waves. That's what sleep is spending the ample amount of time in each stage to get what your body needs to recover. Yeah. Like for example, REM sleep. So this is that rapid eye movement sleep. This is when you're doing a lot of dreaming. Yeah. But something else really cool takes place during REM sleep. It's something called memory processing. This is where things are getting converted to your short-term memory. Mm. So this is like stuff people are learning right now. It, gets more, it becomes more of a part of you during that phase of sleep. If your REM sleep is disturbed, guess what? You're not gonna remember as much shit. And how does this happen? One of those things that messes up our REM sleep is drinking before bed, like drinking alcohol. <laughs> and so there's something called a REM rebound effect that takes place. And I'm just gonna throw this out there. I know nobody's ever had this happen, but somebody drinks so much they don't remember what happened. Right. You know, now I don't, maybe you might know somebody, but. Uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know if I, did I do it? Did I text it? You know, like, and this is because this REM rebound effect, the REM sleep is wildly disrupted. And this is why we also have the experience of the quote hangover. It's a big part of culture now. We've got movies about it, but how does it happen? It's because our REM sleep is disturbed. And so you really don't even remember, you can't process these things going on. Mm -hmm. And so we need to spend an ample amount of time in that. Same thing we talked about the non-REM delta sleep as well in transitionary stages. And so what we wanna do is optimize those stages of sleep that we're in. Mm -hmm. And so that comes back to melatonin is like that manual gear shift that helps yeah. you to go through those stages. If you're not producing melatonin properly, because for example, you know, being on your computer or your iPhone or, you know, your, you know, your, your tablet watching TV late at night. Now we know Harvard researchers have confirmed this. I mean, I mean there's so much data now, but they gave, they came back with some numbers and they found that, this blue light spectrum, and everybody's heard about it at this point, and I've been talking about this for a long time, man. Yeah. So I'm not saying you heard it here first, but damn, like I've been I'm just <laughs> trying to push this into culture for people yeah. to get this. This is new. Like being able to have access like this, we didn't have this, Yeah. you know, as we evolve. It's like in the page of human evolution, if you know, if it's like a dictionary size book, this is like just the page number. Right. If even that on the entire dictionary of humanity that we've had access to these screens like this. Yeah. Maybe half of a digit of a page number. And so evolution takes time. Yeah. We're just not adapted to it. It's sending signals to your brain, telling your brain it's daytime effectively mm. and throwing off your circadian rhythm. And so what the researchers found is that every, 
So first of all, it suppresses melatonin yep. substantially and increases cortisol, which is not good to have it high at night. Every hour you're on your device at night, there's no impact during the day, they found, but every hour you're on your device at night, it suppresses melatonin for 30 minutes. Ooh. And so even if you go to sleep, like I, I should go to bed, or you're just phys- physically exhausted, the fir- and you're just on your computer for like four hours, the first two hours you're sleeping, you're not producing adequate melatonin to take you through your s- sleep stages. And so you're going to wake up feeling like, like you're full of dumpster juice. I don't know. Like you're going to feel really <laughs> nasty. You're, gonna, you're not going to feel good. You're not going to have energy like yeah. you really want to because you mistaken quantity for quality, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Wow. I can't believe I said dumpster juice. Like <laughs> I like that. that though. You know, it's yeah. like you're, you're, you have like mind trash, right? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I mean, I, I started when I do Vedic meditation in the morning, I feel like it's that what's great about Vedic is it's like mantra based. So it is, it's like, it's like taking out the mental trash in the morning yeah. and like it gets you, it definitely, like I feel a difference between starting and stopping. And sometimes if I wake up in the morning, like, or like four in the morning and my mind's like racing, yeah. I can't fall back asleep. I'll get up and I'll like, I'll meditate and like take out that trash yeah. and then it'll help me like fall back asleep again. Yeah. Oddly enough. <laughs> it works, man. It works. works. Yeah. So what can you tell me about, and I mean, I don't know if you know any studies in terms of like how sleep affects creativity and getting you in a flow states and, and things like that. I do. And I put some of this research, I haven't talked to, nobody asked me about this, man. Hell yeah, know, all, creativity, the, man. yeah. all the interviews, <laughs> all the, you know, the, the TV, nobody asked about this, man. So I do have some studies, studies that I cited in Sleep Smarter, but I can't recall right off the bat, but I do know for sure it affects creativity. As a matter of fact, check this out though. I just, you know, I was talking with our mutual friend, Jim Quick. Yeah. And, and I shared this with him because we we're talking about how exercise, specifically strength training, impacts your brain mm-hmm. and helps protect your gray matter, even potentially help your brain to grow and create new connections. But I shared this, and I think this is really cool to add in here. This was a Stanford study, and this found that walking increased creative inspiration by an average of 60% versus sitting. Hmm. And this was a, effect was evident while and shortly after, anywhere, it was just five to 16 minutes walking. And Again, this is Stanford. These are smart folks. Yes. But here's the thing. The enhancement was specific to a very specific type of, uh, of creativity called divergent thinking, right, oh. that they were monitoring. So this was being able to problem solve m- from multiple angles, right? Oh, so what we tend to do when we're dealing with an issue or even a creative barrier is we're like trying to hammer through it. And this is our one way. And with divergent thinking, because this is the truth, man. Most people is like, I tried everything, right? Yeah. When they're trying to figure something out, but it's usually just your one train of thinking yeah. that you've habitually been conditioning yourself to do. And that's cool because it can get you a lot of places in life. But what's so beautiful about us as humans is we can have this divergent thinking. We can think from multiple angles. Right. We can step out of this frame and think from a more critical standpoint, or we can think from a more loving standpoint or a more analytical standpoint mm-hmm. or a more like integrated and holistic or meta perspective where you're zooming out and looking at the whole thing or digging in and looking at it from a very isolated yeah. place. So bottom line is this, I feel that every problem generally has dozens of solutions, if not hundreds, if not thousands. Yeah, It's just being able to kind of grasp into this divergent thinking. And one of the ways of doing that is just simply taking your ass for a walk. 
<laughs> I like that. And like so many great people that we look at in history, you know, whether it's like Emerson or, you know, um, in, in the field of psychology, these folks are like, they're walking a lot of times and they're also doing thought experiments. Like uh, yeah. Einstein, for example, would do these thought experiments. And he, you know, um, and the thing is with a lot of these quotes, you don't know if they said it, you weren't there, you know, but he was, <laughs> he was said to have, he was said to have said that the imagination is a preview of life's coming attractions. Hmm. All right. It's such a powerful statement. And so, and I, I read one of his books, like a, a biography about, like this was years ago. And just looking at, he would literally just sit and think. And he would say that, you know, I'm not smarter than other people. It's just, I sit with problems longer. And he'd do these creative, and even some of these huge theories that we use in science today that have helped to build like, you know, quantum mechanics and physics. And he would just like sit and think about these things and like how the universe works, right? Yep. And so being able to sit with the problem, but also getting up and moving around, like he would walk as well. And mm. Carl, Carl Jung, for example, same thing, you know, they had these walking practices. So, and I just want to throw that out there for folks, you know, when you are feeling, feeling a little stale, or I would even proactively do it because what tends to happen is we get like into something and we're just like, we feel like we're in a flow, but then it starts to get a little bit more difficult. Yeah. And so we'll just try to like push harder then mm-hmm. instead of just step back, like go for a quick five minute walk, take step away. Every time I've done that, cause it's hard for me too. Yeah. It's hard. But when I do that, I always come back fresher mm-hmm. and I come back with like an idea might pop up, you yeah. know, it generally does every time. And so, yeah, so I just want to throw that in there that, like that. it's not just sleep, but also, you know, movement. With your movement. I know yeah. for me, like getting on the bike, I, I bike a lot here in New mm-hmm. York City and it's, it's, it's one of my favorite things to do. And I definitely feel that state that you're talking about when I'm on my bike and I'm flowing through the city. It's like my mind starts getting into a different yeah. form of movement and creativity. And I think that, you know, things, things happen when you're Absolutely. moving. Things well, happen. I want to, I want, and I'm, I'm, Doing this now more for myself because I got away from it, man. It's just giving yourself time to just be, you yeah. know, just to think like how, when's the last time you just thought, right? right? It usually takes an instance, like you said, like I'm on a bike and, you know, you don't want to have the headphones playing necessarily. Like you're just there and you're present. Yeah. And so just time to just even sit and think or just go for a walk and just without your phone or without anything else and just, just think, just let yeah. those, those thoughts in your mind, let some of those things process. And creativity really does flow when you just give yourself time to just be. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you have enough sleep, you can actually think. <laughs> right. It makes it a lot easier. <laughs> I know. Sure. That's, that's me in a nutshell. Yeah. If, I get a, if I get a good amount of sleep, then I'm way more, I, I have a lot more productive thoughts and I'm more proactive in that sense. Now your book, you have 21, 21 ways to sleep smarter. Yeah. What would be, say like, let's pick like top three. Top three. Oh, that's tough. It's tough. It's like, well, so we'll pick top three and then people can go get the book and, and figure out the rest. Okay. <laughs> um, and since this is a, you know, your show, I'll talk about some different stuff, Okay, cool. you know, that I don't usually talk about. So one of these things, and this is really, really interesting. We mentioned earlier, we talked about meditation. Mm-hmm. So I would, because immediately I was going to throw that in that top three, Yeah. but I'm going to jump over a little bit and talk about this really interesting subject. And some people might've heard of this, but some people, this might be new. It's called earthing or grounding. 
Mm. And I almost didn't put this in the book because the the practice is so abnormal and it just doesn't make any rational sense. Right. But now we have really sound science. So one of the studies found that just getting your body, and I cited multiple studies in, in Sleep Smarter, but getting your body in the con- in contact with the earth itself huh. can help to improve your sleep, can help to reduce cortisol levels. So one of the studies found that, and so what does this mean? So grounding is basically getting your the human body in contact with a surface of the earth that are conductive hmm. because the surface of the earth is brimming with all these free electrons. We just can't see it. Yeah. And to get like, we can't see Wi-Fi, but it exists. Right. You know, exactly. it's just like, but I can't see it. Like, this is what we get into. And it's so, especially with a mind like mine, like I'm very much like, see it, believe it. I am just yeah. by nature. But now I know because I've been able to see, oh, I can see infrared, you know, yeah. we can take photographs with this, you know, curly in photography and all these different things, you can see these different energies coming off of things yeah. that we just can't see with our particular spectrum of right. vision that humans have. You know, some animals can see more into the infrared, some more into ultraviolet. These yeah. things exist. And so the earth itself is brimming with free electrons that your body, just by touching and interacting with these things, humans, are we're very conductive. We're extremely conductive organisms. Mm. To give an example, first of all, like you can get... F- you can get electrocuted. Duh. You know, yeah, like you yeah. can actually get electrocuted. Whenever I think about that, I think about, I think it was Michael Myers. And like somebody's like in the bathtub, whatever, <laughs> yeah. you know, and he's through the like hair dryer in there or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're very conductive. Right. And we can like the static electricity, we like, we could shock each other, or whatever. Yeah. Also, I think a good example of that and understanding how conductive we are is the human heart. You know, when we're, when we're seeing, that monitor at the hospital or like, you know, in a movie or whatever, or yeah. unless you've been in a situation that, you know, boop, boop. Yep. Like you're yep. seeing this taking place. That is the electrical output of the heart coming up on the screen. Yeah. It, you're electric. Yeah. You're a bioelectrical organism. And so here's what's interesting. Again, getting in contact with the earth, you pull in these free electrons which, what does that mean? What are, we, what are these even doing? And if we just go back to school and with the protons and the electrons and these kind of things, but free radicals, these free radical activity, right? We hear about that with, in regards to aging. And so people want to take antioxidants to kind of put these fires out. They're missing an electron, these free radicals. When you absorb them from the earth, you can get them from your food, but right. it's different. Like where does the food come from? The earth. Right. right. So you're pulling in electrons that way, but you pull these in and it immediately starts to be pulled into these inflammatory processes, these free radical activity. Mm-hmm. And so what this one particular study found that was that folks who were grounded while sleeping ended up having more efficient sleep cycles. Their cortisol levels went down mm-hmm. in the evening and it normalized throughout the day. Not just while they were grounded, it normalized their cortisol levels through the day, which is crazy it has such an impact on your hormones like that Mm. and so now the question is like are you talking about going camping sean like how do i get in touch (laughs) with the earth while i'm sleeping well first of especially like in new york city man it's difficult like how often do you get in touch with the earth like yeah well (laughs) very rarely concrete jungle over here you know and so by so let me throw out the conductive surfaces so that would be obviously soil you know dirt yeah concrete is semi-conductive okay funny enough asphalt is not Wood is oh, not. Interesting. Sand, water, those are conductive. Mm. 
And so, you know, and this is why I like even going to the beach, everybody's like, I feel so much more relaxed. I sleep yeah. better. Some, most times, especially if you haven't been for a while and you haven't been grounded for a while and you go to the beach, like a lot of people fall asleep on the beach, like immediately. Yeah. And there's like, you know, I guess it's just, you know, you're away from the day to day. That's not why. Like you're finally getting in touch with the earth's surface yeah. again. And so that's one way, man, one kind of different way that has some evidence is growing as well. Yep. There's a doctor, Dr. Sinatra. And it's when I think about it, I'm just, of course, thinking of Frank Sinatra, but he's a cardiologist. He's one of the top cardiologists in the game. And grounding is a big thing that he uses for his patients because of the benefits with the heart that he's seen, which makes sense if it's affecting cortisol and it's affecting your sympathetic nervous system. And so here, how do you do this? How do you go about this? Well, here's a funny little thing. Have you noticed like a lot of people say they get ideas in the shower? Mm-hmm. For most of us, the pipes are grounded. And so the water is going through a grounded surface when it's hitting you. And so you're getting grounded when you're in the shower. All right. So we are actually all getting that little opportunity if you're showering regularly, which I encourage. All right. But also, you know, if you can go to, you know, when I was in Central Park, the last time I was here, you know, go just kick your shoes off. If it's not, you know, five below or whatever. And, you know, get grounded, you know, yeah. get your toes in the sand, in the, in the grass. And there are grounding technologies now. And I just, I, because I don't have some clinical data, I don't like to talk about it too much, Yeah. but these are like devices and I do use them because anecdotally I notice a difference, Yeah. but these are, so they fit, they can, you can literally put it, a grounding rod into the dirt outside, right? Which that might not be an option for you. And then it runs into your, into your house for like, a mat that's connected to the ground, like, and I tested these. So there's like these little <laughs> tester and you can see like this kind of spectrum that gets created, like just even in this room right now, like there's a electrical field that's created by, you know, like by the um, phone wires outside, right, you know what right, I'm saying? Right, yeah. And you could see there's a drop, you know, if you use this little monitor it with your electrical, like the radiation that's hitting you. Mm. All right. So anyways, I'll give you a video then that shows like one of these monitors being, it's nuts, man. Anyways, cool, yeah, send it over. And so you can do that or they, you can use these grounding technologies that fit into the grounding outlet in your, in your outlets because there's like the electrical one, there's the grounding prong. It's mm-hmm. that third one. And so there's like mouse pads and there's sheets. I, sh- I slept with grounding sheets for a long time. The person who really got me into this, man, was uh, Dr. Jeff Spencer. And okay. he worked with like the Tour de France team, like eight championships. But you know, he Lance, <laughs> Lance was on the team. I don't know, you know what he was. Oh man! But they had these recovery bags using these, and they saw substantial benefits with their recovery. And they were monitoring like, you know, blood levels of this and that. Obviously, there wasn't testing Lance's whatever it was, you know. But no, I'm not trying to get into that. <laughs> but they were recovering faster. Yeah, and. So that's what got me interested in it. So they have those things available. Not saying that they work, work, because we don't have that much evidence outside of anecdotal stuff. And, you know, of course, like physicians like that, putting data out, but like clinical trials, not yet. So interesting. Well, let's let's touch on a couple. So I love that. That's amazing. I never even thought about that. That's so cool. I'm going to, I don't know, have to figure out how to get a grounding rod in here, out here in New York. But uh, (laughs) let's talk about like core temperature, and sleep, because I know for me, that's been a huge thing. I'm like huge advocate of the chili pad. That's like been the game changing 
thing for me, but what is actually happening with your core temperature and sleep? We're so, we're like on those same wavelengths right now, man, because that's the next thing I was going to talk about. Oh, because there we go. it was a train of thought of like, you know, even if people have noticed like taking a hot bath or a shower at night and that, that grounding experience, plus we tend to sleep a little bit better. It's like a process a lot of folks do for their kids. You know, they mm-hmm. take a bath and they get ready for bed. What's going on there? Why does that, why does that work? Okay. So we have this process, it's called thermoregulation. Your body's just regulating itself. When I was in school, I was taught 98.6 degrees, right? That's what you're supposed to, your temperature changes all day. Yeah. Right. That's just an average. Okay. So like if you go for a walk, chances are your temperature goes up and that's okay. You know, your temperature can go down lower. And so with thermoregulation, your body, there's a natural drop in your core body temperature at night when it gets dark outside. And yep. this process facilitates sleep. It's like an indicator for your circadian timing to release, to release sleep-related hormones and neurotransmitters, mm. all right? To set you up for sleep. There's a natural drop. The problem is if you are running too hot, your environment's hot, it can be, it's, your body has to work harder to cool itself down. Right, and we right. all know what it's like to sleep when we're hot. It sucks. Like it just doesn't feel good. <laughs> <I> don't sleep. <laughs> yeah. So if that's one definite thing that can interrupt, even if you don't fully wake up consciously, take you out of your normal sleep cycle if you're running too hot. And so one of the things to do, and what they did in this particular study, they fitted folks with clinical insomnia with these cooling caps huh. that ran cold water over their heads And it's just one degree less than their body temperature. And also, by the way, in folks with insomnia, right, clinical sleep problems, clinically proven sleep problems, they tend to run hotter. They tend to be folks who run hot specifically in the evening. Their core, their body temperature is tends to be higher than what's normal. Yeah. And so they fitted them with these cooling caps again, and they had the control group who didn't have insomnia when they gave them fitted them with these cooling caps. They fell asleep faster than folks who didn't have insomnia. They, they slept almost as long and they woke up the same amount of times, just like one or two times a night as a average person did. So they basically were cured of their insomnia just by cooling their damn head off a little wow. bit. And so, and that's what, and again, the pillow, like it feels good. The cool, cool is the other side of the pillow, you know? And they also, there's another study they use thermosuits mm. where they, you know, cooled their skin temperature off just one degree. So- Getting cooler, getting the environment cooler is something we can all do oh, for most of us because today we have access to a thermostat, which is a really, like, we're, we're so blessed, man. Like, we can, we can tinker with that stuff. Yeah. Or just open a window, whatever. You know, do what you got to do. Cool it off a little bit. You're going to sleep better. Yeah. Experts recommend between 62 and 68 degrees yeah. Fahrenheit, which might sound a little nippy-nip, but you could still have your covers and all that stuff, but... You know, just create an environment that's a little bit cooler and you're going to have a tendency to sleep better. Yeah, that's funny because I've experimented 65 degrees, perfect for me. And I used to blast my AC to 65 degrees, which is freezing in here. Yeah. But I sleep like a baby. Yes. Yeah. But then like, then I got the chili pad. Yeah. Uh, The chili pad, you can actually, it's a, it's, you know, it's a pad that goes above your, above your mattress under the bottom sheet. It runs cooled water through it and you can actually set the temperature. So I can set the temperature to 65 degrees. It could be 72 and the room temperature but it drops. I sleep so well. And yeah. like now I have a hard time sleeping in other places when I right. don't have one. Right. And but also it's a great thing for if you have a significant other, you know what yeah. I'm saying? And they're just like, <laughs> it's, it's too cold. Like I can't do it. And my wife is from Kenya. So like 
she's from an African country, so she doesn't really like the cold at all. Like even during yeah. the summer, like I'll just have, it's like 74 in the house. Right. And she's got the space heater. And I'm just like, <laughs> really? Like, come on, man. This. I think that's a, mostly, most women in general yep, run, run cold. So yeah, yeah it's definitely. It's issue. a really interesting thing, isn't it? <laughs> it's so well, interesting. We could talk all about that too. But, um, you know, for us, like we came to an, because we tested it too. Like, you know, anecdotally ourselves, she does sleep better when it's cooler. Yeah. It's just for her, the getting out of bed part. Right. It's cool. So right. what I do is I get up, I go turn turn the thermostat up in the morning <laughs> and just hope that she'll get up, you know, in the next few minutes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. For so, sure. yeah. Wow. Well, I love that. Now everyone's going to wrap up here pretty quick, but I want to touch on the idea of, of consciousness. Cause it sounds like that's been kind of a new journey for you and things that you've been learning and uh, curious what, where you're at with that. Ah, oh, man. Yeah. That's kind of a broad subject. No, it is, I mean, man. we could you do know, a whole nother hour. I'll, I'll tell you what, man. <laughs> I'll tell you, we were talking about earlier, my mother-in-law, who for me, she's like my greatest teacher. Like she just, she's given me so much. Yeah. And I, I'm very much, <laughs> I see myself as a fast learner. Yeah. Because, and what does that even mean? That for me, that just means there's a, a, a problem or a challenge takes place. You learn from it and you don't repeat it. Mm -hmm. That's really learning right there in a nutshell, in my opinion. And so I tend to really get to that place of don't repeat it again very quickly. Yep. And so you give me something that is going to change my life in a positive way and I stop doing the other thing. So for me, and it could be a small thing. That's what she's just giving me, these small little things. It's not like she's just sitting there pandering on like, yep. you know, you really... One of the things she gave me was meditation. And I remember the first time when she said this, when I, I'd just known her probably a couple of weeks. Yep. And she was like, I don't know what the conversation we were having, but it was like, she said a statement and there was like people around and she was not talking directly to me, but she was like, if I can give everybody in the world one gift, it would be meditation. Mm. And in my head, when she said, I was like, give me money, like give me a million dollars. Like, what are you talking <laughs> if I give everybody a gift or whatever? And I was like, you know, I was 24, 25 or something. Yeah. And, but then I got it, man. Like, I really get it. I really get it. And she's taught meditation for, I don't know, 20 years or something. Probably yeah. long, way longer That's than that. Yeah, definitely longer than that. And the very first meditation she took, took me through, because she, you know, she's taught TM. She's taught these, you know, Vedic meditations. She's taught like chakra meditations, but she's really good at what she does because mm. she talks about, the behind the scenes of it like why because i'm people think differently like yep. i want to know why like wh what yeah you just want me to do you want me to close my eyes you know like where's my wallet though you know like <laughs> i'm just you know i need to know yeah and so the very first meditation she taught me it was a class there were other people there and this one was for the heart chakra right mm. and already i'm just like huh but then she didn't like she was like we have this gland here and it tends to be, and she gave me these reasons. I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to suspend my disbelief. This, make it, this is making some sense. I'm just going to do the meditation. Yeah. And this was like a, a humming meditation. And dude, so I did the, because it was that, that humming process, I think it was like for 20 minutes. Really? Yeah. And so, it, and when the, the mind would come up, and even because I'd been so fresh to this, I didn't have very many thoughts because I was so focused on doing the humming. Right, right, right. But if a, if a thought comes, like you just hum that 
come that way, right? <laughs> right? And so yeah. it's like, I'm just 20 minutes. And so I'm doing something active, which I'm used to. And then, boom, you stop and you sit. And I woke up, like in that moment, I woke up. And wow. at, when we were done, like I had this huge revelation, like I had never had a conscious thought in my life. Like I realized that I wasn't really aware that I was aware. There was no separation between like the thoughts and the thinker in a, in a sense, or like the, the presence behind all of it. Right. And I saw, like, I saw like, oh shit, like I can implement what I want here and this thing doesn't have to be true. And I can, like, I just started to see differently. And it mm -hmm. took, it took a couple years to like learn how to integrate and like live <laughs> because I had just woken up, man. And, yeah. um, but then I just really, I was immersed and I did that meditation. It was a 32 minute meditation every day. Wow. For two years. Wow. I can't believe I did it, you know, <laughs> but it changed me, man, because people that know me now, it's like, I've, I, this is what people say. It's like, there's a calming presence. Like everything is like, just kind of cool when you, when you're around. And I just like, I didn't used to be that way. I was, I felt like I was more aggressive and like agitated. You know, I grew up in a really hostile environment, like super hostile environment. And this is just kind of how we rolled, you yeah. know, like we're aggressive humans. And I just became exponentially more patient, more kind, more yeah. understanding and loving because now I had a space there. Even if an inflammatory situation would take place, there was a space created where I can see like, oh, this is happening right now. Mm -hmm. And I can choose my response a little bit more and be more understanding in that moment. Like, and I became so much stronger at perspective taking, Yeah, you know, because now I can get out of my one way of being and like look from this person's point of view, which is hard as hell, especially if you're in a conflict, yeah. you know, with a significant other, but- yeah, man, it's completely transformed everything for me. It's amazing. I love that. Amazing. Well, one last question before we wrap it up. And uh, this is a question I love to ask everyone is, uh, what does the phrase live inspiration mean to you? Wow, live inspiration. Or to live inspiration. You know, that's so funny, man. That's why, that's why I do what I do, mm -hmm. you know, because this isn't just about me. I didn't know it when I started, but I'm creating a model for people with the way I live my life. Mm. And so whether we want to or not, like we all are being a model and inspiring people in a positive or negative way with everything that we do, the people that are around us. Yeah. And now, especially with, you know, the platforms that we have, for example, people are not just paying attention to the content you're putting out about fill in the blank, you know, you being able to do 10 kinds of pushups, like, that energy you're putting out and how you're talking to maybe the other person in the video or how you're communicating with the person holding the camera or how you're talking to the person at the restaurant or how you're relating with your significant other. I, because of what I've been through, man, I'm so grateful. Like I love my wife. Like I am obsessed with her. We've been together for 15 years. I cannot wait to just grab her face. I love her so much. And that. so that model for me is I'm, I'm living and being an inspiration by the way that I live my life on all levels, which for me, a great life and an inspiration, 
uh, living a life of inspiration is really, you know, having having success, what we would consider success yeah. in all the areas of life, you know, yeah. and we're going to struggle in different areas at times, but you can't just come into the game like, I'm just going to be fit. Yeah. And then like your relationships are shitty or I'm just going to be ultra spiritual and then you're broke and like, you're like, can I get $5 to go to the yoga class or whatever? Like, yeah. Get your stuff together, you know, like <laughs> have success on these different levels and, and show it, demonstrate yeah. it by the way you are, not with the stuff you say, but how you're living your life. Absolutely. Well, Sean, I acknowledge you for being that model in this world and changing the world with everything that you're doing. You're crushing it. I appreciate you. Uh, where can people find you on the interwebs and follow you? Awesome. Where they're listening to this podcast, they can find my show as well. It's called The Model Health Show. And uh, we do master classes on different subject matter with health. And I think that I'm telling you, just click play and you're going to be hooked in. And it's just such a, a passion. I do a lot of master classes myself awesome. on different subject matters. And also I just bring on the best people in the world in their respective health niche as well to, to teach. And so uh, people check me out there and social media. I'm at Sean Model. That's S-H-A-W-N-M-O-D-E-L. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter and all that good stuff. Mostly on Instagram. Yeah, the gram. That's, yeah, the, the, that's gram. The, the primary <laughs> source, right? Amazing. Well, thanks for coming on. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to today's episode with Sean Stevenson. I am your host, Nick Onkin. And if you enjoyed today's episode, I would love it if you could help us out by leaving us a good review over an Apple podcast sharing out the episode over on Instagram or whatever your favorite social media platform is. And uh, don't forget to join the community over at facebook.com slash neon life and, and join us as we answer some of your questions on the Facebook lives over there. You can also follow us over at at neon life and I O N L I F E on Instagram. And with that, you know what time it is time to go out and create your life by creating every small moment and we'll see you next time.